Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is a podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they would choose to preserve in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish, but they also pick one thing that they'd like to forget, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode of My Time Capsule is the actor Annabel Dowler, who has one of the most recognisable voices in the country, as, since 1999, she has played the part of Kirsty in the record-breaking, long-running radio drama The Archers. Just for anyone who's not heard it before, Annabelle was born in Formby, Merseyside, and studied Spanish and drama at the University of Bristol, which she talks about in detail in this podcast. She's appeared in numerous plays at such theatres as The Everyman Liverpool, The Liverpool Playhouse and The National in London. And you will have seen Annabelle in such shows as The Six Wives of Henry VIII, playing Catherine of Aragon, Lewis, The Suspect, Breaking Silence, Brexit, The Uncivil War, Mother's Day, Doctors, Emmerdale, The Bill, Doctor Who and the film Suffragette with Carrie Mulligan, Helena Bonham Carter and Meryl Streep. Annabelle was also the voice and the augmented-by-computer body, that means she was filmed with lots of little dots all over her, of May in the award-winning computer game It Takes Two. As well as The Archers, she can be heard on a number of other BBC dramas, including Agatha Christie's The Mysterious Affair at Styles. These are things that may come up, of course, but this is my time capsule, and it's up to my guests to choose what we talk about. It may be the work that they're best known for, but that isn't often the thing that matters most to them, the thing that they want to put in a time capsule. So let's see what Annabelle Dowler will choose, and if I can avoid calling her Kirsty. Have fun. But I did find ways of doing things that I thought that the producers and the technical staff of the Archers didn't discover well before they did in lockdown. Oh, yeah, I bet you did. How, how long were you in it for? Overall, about two years. So you know, Really? As, yeah, yeah. It's weird, isn't it? So as things go, not that long, you know, in comparison to others. Yeah. I mean, there was a gap. I came in and then I sort of disappeared for a bit and then I came back and then I had an intensive sort of four or five months where Lillian and, and Paul's story were sort of uh, featured. Yeah. And then I died. <laughs> yes, yes. Gosh, I know. And she was at your funeral, but having to... Yeah, it's very good. A good storyline. Sweetly, they did ring me up and say, when you get the scripts this month, I'm afraid you die. Oh, God. 
this is it. You don't know. You just think, well, I'm in it this month. You don't know what's happening the next. No, absolutely. But we are going to find out all about other things from you, though, today by talking about things you want to put in a time capsule. I yes. hope we'll see. Yes, yes, yes. It's been funny choosing these things. It's been great. It oh. started lots of conversations around the table at home and yeah. and uh, it's hard. And then, of course, I've I've really enjoyed listening to some other people as well. Oh, that's Lots nice. Of people. I, I, you know what I thought? I thought, you need to have a party, Michael, one day with all your guests on this <laughs> so that everyone can meet in one room. Because I was listening. I was like, oh, my God, I want to join in that conversation. Yes, yes, I think that. I want to chat to you about that. Oh, you know? uh, yeah. Oh, that's nice. I listen to people I know already and learn stuff about them I just didn't know, you know. Well, quite. That's my experience of it, which mm. is why I enjoy doing it. Did you start doing it in lockdown? I did start just before lockdown and had this oh. lovely plan that I was going to go and visit lots of people that I knew and sit with them and have lunch and we were going to chat and then I'd put this podcast out, which I did with a couple of people. And you could do that now, but is it just, I suppose it's just so much easier to do it from home now. It sort of is, you know, and the, the thing has developed into what it is. It, I think that strangely I discovered that this way of doing it is almost more intimate than sitting in a room with someone. It's you and yes. I staring at each other. Yeah. And also you feel slightly relaxed because we're not quite looking into each other's eyes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you look like you're looking at my nose, Michael, at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> what a lovely nose it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We are planning to do, or we've been booked to do a number of festivals, so I'm going to do oh, it wow. in front of an audience. Oh, know. gosh, yeah. yes. That's really exciting. It's amazing. We're doing a festival and I'll be talking to David Morrissey. Oh, wow, yeah. And then another festival and talking to Dave Gorman. Okay, gosh. Can't wait. Really good. Let's talk about the things you've chosen then, see what they are. Okay, so the first thing I've chosen is a black and white photo from the mid-1930s and it was used in an advert and it's of, um, it's of a lady, elegant lady, sitting on a chair with a cup and saucer in her hand and next to her on a table is a tin of Cadbury's cocoa. And this was part of an advert for Cadbury's in the 1930s. And the lady in the photo is my nana. So she's my, my dad's mother, Phyllis Dowler, or Phyllis Clift, as she was then. Yeah. And she worked at Cadbury's and she worked in the admin and the offices of, and, and in the um, advertising department. But they used to get her to be in some of the adverts. Oh, how brilliant. And so she, she was born in Birmingham and she met my grandpa, who also worked for Cadbury's. They met at the Cadbury's factory and Cadbury's offices in Bourneville. But then they, shortly after meeting, moved to Liverpool. Mm. And... Um, I've put this photo in because, well, various reasons. One, I wanted something to connect me to my family, to the Dowler clan. Mm. And I thought, and this is a photo that you, it's not on your iPhone, it's not going to be in the, the cloud, whatever. And it's one of those things, you know, when people say, oh, if your house burnt down, what would you grab? It's, it's something I would grab off the wall. Yeah. But also because thinking of my really early childhood, my nana pops up in so many of those really early memories because I was brought up in Formby in Merseyside and my mum and dad are still in the same house, the only house they've ever lived in, <laughs> the house they bought when they got married. I don't know if you know Merseyside well, but there's the train line in Merseyside that called Mersey Rail and it goes from Liverpool to Southport, up and down all day. <clears throat> and my, I was very lucky in that my grandparents lived on either side of us in different towns, but my granny and granddad were in Southport and that granny on my mum's side was very much a typical granny. She looked like a granny from a storybook, you know, and, yeah. um, and my granddad was a bookmaker and a barber and he worked with red rum and they were more Lancashire. Wow. And um, down the line in Crosby, which is the Liverpool side of the line, mm -hmm. uh, was Nana and Grandpa who'd moved from Bourneville. And we were in the middle in Formby, but I saw my grandparents all the time. And Sunday afternoons, we always went to Crosby for afternoon tea at my Nana's. And this nana was not like your typical granny. Phyllis was incredibly elegant, incredibly vain, a total snob. Um, <laughs> she bought Vogue magazine every month. She made all her own clothes. She was a fantastic seamstress. But she put on these amazing teas. And when I think about those early years, it's it's me and my... I've got two sisters, but one is nine years younger than me. And so these memories are before she was even born. Mm. Me and my other sister, Francesca, going on a Sunday. And nana would just do this amazing spread and I was talking to my sister about this the other day, and, and actually some of the things were bizarre. The sandwiches she made, she used to do apple sandwiches, but they were delicious. I think yeah. she'd sprinkle sugar on the apple. Oh. And then salad sandwiches, which, I mean, I can't even get my kids anywhere near a salad, but these salad sandwiches were amazing. And I can still picture standing in her kitchen and she'd slice onion really finely, slice tomato, cucumber, lettuce, 
sprinkle loads of salt on, cover them in vinegar, and then shove them in bread with butter. But you'd eat them, you know, straight away, otherwise the bread would get soggy. And they were amazing. Mm. And I actually thought, I've never made a salad sandwich in my life. I, I might give it a go this weekend. But And then she'd make, like, little chocolatey tiffin bites and shortbread, and she'd make lemon meringue pie, and there'd always be this amazing caramel nutty sauce that she'd make to put over the vanilla ice cream at the end for pudding. And it was the same <laughs> thing every week. And it's just such a regular part of our weekly routine, going around on a Sunday. And she had a room in her house that um, she, where she had her sewing machine and she had the proper sewer's mannequin and shelves of tins of buttons and lace and all these. And it was just like this Aladdin's cave of her sewing life. She mm. made everything and she'd always make us clothes. And, and we'd have to, every time we'd go around and we'd have to try the latest outfit and there were always matching outfits. She'd be making me my sister little smock dresses and all that and, <laughs> and the sailor collars. And I just loved standing there and having these fittings at Nana's on a Sunday, because I still love having a costume fitting now. I actually <laughs> find it the most relaxing thing. I always feel like I'm going to fall asleep. Just people just gently putting a pin here and tuck there and just moving you around. I just love it. I just, I love that attention, <laughs> just standing there and someone making something for you. And Nana used to come on a lot of holidays with us as well. We used to go to Cornwall. Um, we went to the same place every summer, Mullion Cove, and we'd stay at the same guest house every year. It was run by a guy called Fred. So we just used to call it Fred's and he had a big gong and he'd let me and my sister gong for dinner time. You know? <laughs> but um, what was lovely is there was a little path from Fred's B&B down to the beach, Pelorian, I think it was. And uh, Nana used to take me and my sister Francesca ahead of her mum and dad and we'd go and she'd call it the witch's path. Oh, and we'd brilliant. go, we're going down the witch's path, we're going down the witch's path, and we'd go. <laughs> and she used to call us Mustard Seed and Peas Blossom, that we had these names. And we didn't know they were characters from Shakespeare or whatever. No. She must have thought she was this grand Titania. She must have seen herself as Queen of the Fairies. So we were Mustard Seed and Peas Blossom. And she'd teach us all about the different wildflowers. I remember her teaching us Ladies Lays, and, and, and we'd collect them, and she bought us the, the flower press, and mm. then we'd get these flowers and we'd press them, and, and then she'd put them in these, you know, lovely scrapbooks. It's a, it was really magical. But she was quite eccentric as well and quite sort of sensual woman. And I remember then swimming in the sea with her, and I remember her taking suddenly taking her costume, the, the, the uh, straps of her swimming costume down. And I was like, Nana, you know, and she was, oh, no, let it all in. Let the water in, darling, let it in. Feels wonderful, <laughs> doesn't it? She was like, this. She, she didn't have a Liverpool accent. She had a tiny bit of a Birmingham now and again, it would come up, but she, she'd try and stamp that mm-hmm. out. You know, she really was a snob. Well, she worked at the advertising department at Cambridge. Well, yes, exactly. Yes. And, she, and she was, you know, she was, she was a, an attractive woman. She had wonderful calves and she used to tell people to compliment her on her wonderful tight calf muscles when she walked on the beach <laughs> and this sort of thing. But she was a real character and I loved all my grandparents, but she's probably the one that I I feel I get quite a lot from personality-wise and genetically maybe because I look nothing like my sisters. We're very different. My mum and dad, no one ever says I look like my mum and dad, but I do look like my nana. And often people see this photo and they think it's me in a play. And she was a very creative woman. And um, I mean, I get the acting side more from my mum who did loads of Amdram while we were growing up. Yeah. But my Nana was always sewing or doing some sort of artwork or she was always busy, busy, busy and quick, quick, quick. And, and I'm like that. I've got her tempo. So she was a real dominant member of our family. You don't mention her husband at all, though. No, your so grandpa, Bill, so it was like Bill and Phil. Well, he was such a quiet man. So mm. it was like the hare and the tortoise, you know, and, <laughs> and he was a very tall man. She was very petite. Um, and grandpa was always there, but he, he couldn't get a word in edgeways with Nana. You know, she was a real dominant force. You don't think of a grandmother as swimming in the sea with you. I mean, that's an unusual no. thing. Normally they go, no, no, I don't do that anymore. I think she must have been pretty terrifying for my mum to have as a mother-in-law at first because she was a terrible <laughs> snob. Yeah, she was. And, I mean, I, I remember I had an Irish boyfriend and she really disapproved of that. And she wouldn't call him by his name. His name was Mike, by the way. But she was calling him <laughs> Coppernob. I don't know why she called him Coppernob. I mean, God knows. I'm now, I'm now married to a Spanish man and God knows what she'd think of that. But what I love as well about this photo is that it was taken in Birmingham in the 1930s. That's where she met my, my grandpa. And little did I know that I would spend most of my working life in Birmingham. It's probably the city I've worked in most after London or maybe even more than London, you know. Mm. And so it feels nice that I've got those Birmingham roots there somewhere as well. Did she say how she felt about you becoming an actress? Because I wonder if she ever held ambitions for it, you know. I don't know if she did. She never 
did. It was my mum on my mum's side that was the Amdram side. But no, my nana though was so proud of us doing anything dramatically. Me and my sisters, we used to enter all these Crosby, Liverpool, Southport festivals, and she would always before we did it, she'd she and it, we hated it, but she'd make us record it all onto a cassette, and she made us record everything, and she'd love us doing shows in the garden. So she did really encourage that. We were always having to perform in front of her, you know begrudgingly on a Sunday to practice our poems and whatever. So she she did encourage it. She did. And she mm. she came to see everything she could while she was alive. Yeah. Did any of those survive? Oh, gosh, I thought that. And I think they must do, but they're probably up in my mum and dad's loft and they're always saying, I've got to go through all that stuff. So I bet they must be there. But I don't have any here. Well, honestly, your Nana, she sounds absolutely fantastic. I mean, she, I feel sort of bad. I don't want to just signal her out as a special member of my family because they're all special to me. But mm. if there was just one photo that would then be in the time capsule to associate with the Dowler family, it yes. would be that one. Yeah. Because yeah. it leads on to other memories. Everything yeah. else, absolutely, yes, clearly. Yeah. I really want to go back to there. My mum and dad still go to Cornwall, but I've not been for years. Uh, I must go back there, take my own kids, yeah. Yeah. I wonder how small that path is. I know. Mm. Overgrown, unused now. Probably. Fairies, oh, too yeah. dangerous. Too dangerous for, for people <laughs> yeah. to go down. <laughs> and she tottered down there in her heels. <laughs> oh, she did, with her costume ready to reveal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what that photograph into the time capsule to remind you of the Thank whole Dowler clan. Yeah, yeah. That's marvellous. Okay, so what's number two? So number two is a map, and I love maps. Um, We've got three big maps in our house, and I'd have one in every room if my husband would let me. But um, (laughs) And it's not that I'm great at geography or would be good at that game that my daughter now plays all the time. We got obsessed with Wordle, and now there's Wordle-dull. Wordle, I do know. Yes. Uh, My grandson is autistic, and he does Wordle first go every time. No. He knows the shape of every country in the world. Oh, my word. Mm-hmm. My goodness, that's incredible, isn't yeah. it? That really is. How old is he? Ten. Oh, my gosh. Mm. I don't love maps because I'm particularly good at that. Mm. I just love the look at maps. And anyway, this map I saw in a um, secondhand furniture shop in Forest Hill, where I live in southeast London. There's a fantastic shop called Wild Horses. But I saw this map and I just went, I'm having that because I just love the colours. I saw it was of Europe. <laughs> it was ready pinks and greens and blues and turquoise. And I, that's all I saw. I just loved it. And it was obviously old. It was vintage. It was, you know. Mm. So I bought it. And when we got home, my son and I looked on the back and this little stamp. And we, we Googled and it, it's from a bookshop in Antwerp. And it's all in Dutch. Yeah. And so what it says is it's Europe in the 16th century. So I love this map just for what it looks like. And it's always a talking point when people come over. But the reason I've chosen it is because the country that pings out there most, because it's in this lovely pinky red colour, is Spain. Mm. Spain and the Spanish language and Spanish people are a huge part of my life and a huge part of who I am. Right. It all started when I started learning Spanish at school, like Mm. anyone age 12. But I just had a fantastic Spanish teacher. I was at a normal state Catholic, comprehensive, mixed state school in, in Merseyside, in, in just outside Crosby. But I had this fantastic Spanish teacher who wasn't Spanish. He was Dave Holmes from Derbyshire. <laughs> but he was absolutely brilliant. And I can still picture the way he taught certain, like the subjunctive. I can remember how he taught it. as like his, his teaching of grammar was superb. Every Friday when we did A-level, he'd give us a topic to talk about. And we, there might have been 50 questions on this topic, you know, from abortion to your favourite TV programme. And you'd have a week to prepare every single question. And then you had to speak about it every Friday. So every topic that could come up, you had discussed in such depth. Wow. The literature he did still stays with me today. He was just such a brilliant teacher. And he just he got the exam results. And he also loved Spain, Spanish people, and cycled through Spain every summer. And so... I always loved studying Spanish and knew I wanted to do GCSE, A-level, whatever. But it also started when I went on, ironically, a French exchange. Because I went on this French exchange when I was 14 to the house of a girl called Veronique, just outside Paris in Orléans. (laughs) And Veronique had been in our house for three weeks. Yes. And then I flew back with her for two why people thought this was a good idea. Five weeks with a stranger. Who've never met. (laughs) And I, at this point, I was a young... 15-year-old, and she was an old 17-year-old. Oh, no. And she was awful and surly, barely made (laughs) eye contact with me. And I remember my mum, I'd given up my bedroom for her and we'd emptied the wardrobe and we'd given her, like, a stereo and, you know, all this. 
and she's smoking in my bedroom. And my <laughs> mum had said, you know, Veronique, you can smoke downstairs, you know, because at the time my dad smoked, you know. But no, she smoked in my bedroom. And I remember saying, oh, my new curtains stink of smoke now. They stink for months. <laughs> and then I got to Orléans and was given this sort of tiny little box room, or fine, whatever. But honestly, I experienced homesickness in the most profound way <laughs> because kids... Now, my kids will never do this. They will never get this homesick because you don't get that immersion in a foreign language like we did if you did an exchange like this. I spoke zero English for a week. Well, I was there for two. And I remember feeling so homesick. I hated the food. I remember they just gave me a plate of spinach. Well, I'd never eaten a leaf of spinach in my life. I remember they gave me a plate of raw grated carrot with a blob of mayonnaise on the side. I mean, I don't know if this was typical French food or what, but I hated it. Veronique never spoke to me. And every night I'd go to bed with a Jilly Cooper book. I'd taken four Jilly Cooper novels to read. Not not Riders and all those ones, no. Rivals, but I had these ones called Prudence, Emily, and I used to go to bed and lose myself in Jilly Cooper oh. and plan how I was going to go home. I was going to get a train to Paris, get a train to Calais, and I'd somehow get the boat back home, and then I'd get a coach to Liverpool. Anyway, Veronique then said to me, oh, next week uh, I have two more people there coming to stay. And she said, they're Spanish. Anyway, the next week, Maria and Antonio arrived from Santander, brother and sister, a few years older than me, and my life changed mm. because they didn't speak French and Veronique didn't speak Spanish. And suddenly I was this trilingual, multilinguist in the middle. My personality <laughs> was coming through. I fell in love with Antonio and Maria. I mm. wanted to be Maria. Mm. I remember just seeing this Spanish girl with this chocolate tanned skin and what now would seem like the most hideous pink neon shorts and a baggy <laughs> T-shirt and she painted her nails white. But she, to me, was just the epitome of coolness. And Antonio, her brother, who just seemed to lounge around the place, and the two of them went round with their arms round each other. And I was like, oh, my God, I want an older brother. You know, they, they hug each other and they're just cool and she sits on the sofa with her leg over his. I just <laughs> wanted to be Spanish. Mm. And basically... After that, never saw Veronique again. But Maria and I, the next summer, I got the boat to Santander, took a school friend with me. I remember my mum and dad put us on the coach in Liverpool, coach to Plymouth, and I had two weeks there. And then you cut to 10 years later, I went to her wedding and we're still in contact now, which is lovely. But I remember coming back on the boat from Santander and I was sort of, you know, a dramatic teenager. I feel Spanish. I want to be in Spain. I know I have to come back and live in this country when I'm older. And so that was it. I was going to do Spanish at university. And I did. I went to Bristol and did Spanish and drama. Mm. And that was it. And I'm now married to a Spanish guy. Oh, brilliant. What I wanted to say about the map as well is that bizarrely, there's only four cities on this map of Spain. Four. But bizarrely, they're all pretty significant to me. So there's Granada where I went on my year abroad. Mm. So I had a fantastic time my year abroad, did half the year in Ecuador, half the year Granada, lived with Spanish girls, had a Spanish boyfriend, just loved the whole thing. Fantastic student city where you can you can be skiing in the Sierra Nevada one day and on the beach the next. Mm. And you can do all that within the same week. And then Madrid is where I went to live after university. I knew it. I thought I wanted to be an actor, but I didn't really know how to go about it. And I thought, oh, I've got to get this Spanish thing out of my system first. Because I reckon when you, once you say you want to be an actor, you've got to stick in it for a bit. Mm. So I'll go and live in Spain now. And I did a TEFL course and I just got a single ticket to Madrid. And I got a job at the British Council, which was pretty remarkable because I didn't have much teaching experience. I'd done a bit in summer holidays, but, but they wanted someone who had drama because they wanted to run a sort of summer school where they had a drama sector to it as well. So I had a year in Madrid doing that. And then I got into a theatre company and I'd been and seen this show and it was a bilingual theatre company. It was a show about Shakespeare, two British actors, two Spanish actors talking in English about Shakespeare, but performing scenes in Spanish. So I saw the show and I thought, oh my God, I want to do that. How many actors are there in Madrid that could do this? And then they, was, they said they were doing auditions for a second cast to do a tour and I, I did it and I got the part. So then I spent a second year in Madrid, rehearsing in Madrid, but then you'd go off to Alicante for two weeks. Oh. Well, then you'd come back to Madrid. Then you'd go to Barcelona for a month. <laughs> and it was it, it was sort of a step up from TIE because you were performing in theatres, mm. but they would be sort of daytime shows for the university sector. But I had the best time because I just got to see so much of Spain and realised I loved doing this. I thought, right. This is what I've got to do. I want to do this. Mm. And in Barcelona, we had a stage manager who had trained at RADA. And he said to me, 
why don't you go to drama school? And so that's what I did. And I called Weber Douglas and they said, there's only one more weekend or whatever of auditions. So I flew back, did it. The day Tony Blair got into power, I remember that was the day of my audition at <laughs> Weber Douglas. And I, and I got in. And so that was it. I left Spain and came to, to Weber Douglas. Granada, Madrid and Barcelona were really significant. But then I met my husband years later in my early 30s because my sister, who also studied Spanish at university, um, was living in Seville. And I'd broken up with someone, I was single at the time, and I went out to visit her. And she was going out with someone, she was going out with Pepe, and she said, oh, I think you might like one of Pepe's <laughs> friends, Alejandro. <laughs> and I met Alejandro on the first day there of a two-week holiday, and that was that. Oh, wonderful. I mean, he said it was love at first sight. I, I like, it wasn't love at first sight, but it was it was sort of love at first week. Nice. So is Seville the third? No, it's not. Cadiz. We got married in Seville, but Cadiz, sorry, is the fourth city on the map. Right. And Cadiz is... I've, I've lost my heart to Cadiz. It's the place in Spain that I've thought, this is where I want us in the future to have a second home. Mm. Have you ever been to Cadiz? I haven't, no. I can't say Cadiz. I can't stand it when we've got Madrid, Barcelona. <laughs> but Cadiz is Cadiz. I can't say Cadiz because it's, it's got to be Cadiz. Anyway, Cadiz is, you've got to go. It's just, it's got the beauty of the old town and the cobbledy streets and some wonderful squares. But it's also just got the most fantastic city beach, which is the Playa Victoria. So it's, oh. it's a bit like a lollipop. And if you imagine the top of the lollipop is the old town with all your crisscrossy old streets. But then the, the stick of the lollipop, uh, on one side you've got the bay where the boats come in, but on the other side it's the Atlantic. And you get the most amazing sunsets there. I mean, mm. it's called the Costa de la Luz, Coast of the Light, because the light is incredible there. Mm. And it was one of the first weekends away I had with Alejandro when we first met. And we've been so many times now with our kids. We'll go for a weekend. We've done a house swap in the summer. I just love it. I'll need a few more voiceovers or Archer's episodes if we can afford a place there. But in the meantime, I'll keep I'll keep discovering different Airbnbs, you know. Yes. I have used my Spanish in my career. My first TV job was actually playing Catherine of Aragon in the David Starkey's series. You know, he used to do all those sort of docudramas. So they needed someone who could speak English with a Spanish accent. Mm. But then they also needed you to be able to speak Spanish because there'd be lots of bits where there'd be David Starkey, you know, going on. And in the background, you'd hear me speaking Spanish. And it's so funny because when we watched it back, Basically, there was a whole scene. I think they said, okay, this is when Catherine gets the letter saying, yes, she is going to marry Henry. So I had to sort of talk to my lady in waiting, improvising in, you know, period (laughs) Spanish, for God's sake. And what they did when they edited it, it was sort of this big climactic music and it stops. And there's me and I go, y mi madre va a estar super contenta, you know, trying to be young. I mean, I was I was in my mid-twenties playing, at that point, a 16-year-old had to wait. So I go, que mi madre va a estar super contenta, which translated me, oh, my mum will be well chuffed. And I, thought, and I thought, oh, my word, if there's anyone Spanish watching this, they're going to be getting the complaints to Channel 4. But anyway, but, the, but it was great to do that and have all the, you know, the amazing dresses and everything. But then I also did a very funny job a few years ago where I got to present a programme on Spanish TV. And this was bizarre because we filmed it all in England and it went out on the equivalent of BBC Two Mm. at some ridiculous hour, like 6am in the morning. So obviously the only people who watched it, friends of my husband's who'd come in late (laughs) and say, oh, I saw you the other night, you know. And basically it was a Spanish language programme, but it was called That's English. And it was like being, it was like almost a sort of piss take of the one show. So it was hilarious because it was myself and a, and a guy called Ashley, who was a, an experienced sports presenter, which I'd never even read off an auto cue in my life. <laughs> but the first ones, it was presumed that the um, viewers were not, you know, they didn't speak much English. So you do a bit in English, you do a bit in Spanish. Yeah, and yeah. it was things like sausage, sausage. <laughs> I like sausages, salchicha. But we had such a laugh doing it. <laughs> yes. So it was like a little sort of um, a drama, sort of like a sitcom within the programme called Grand Hotel. So it'd be like, now, ahora vamos a ver el próximo episodio de Grand Hotel. Let's watch. <laughs> and then you'd sort of sweep yourself around to look at this green screen behind you. Anyway, it was hilarious. And we did it for, you know, years. Well, we're going to take that wonderful map. What a find that is. But yeah. also... What a wonderful world you grew up in where you were at a normal, just everyday school and were being taught Spanish by a man who really knew his stuff. Yeah, yeah. What a fantastic thing to have in your life, to have another language. Yeah. So we put the map in, that's number two. Yes, yes. Okay, right, so let's move on to number three. 
Right, this is the point in the podcast where we have to take a short break for some adverts. We'll be back very soon, unless, of course, you have subscribed to Acast Plus for a very small monthly fee, in which case you'll be helping us greatly and this podcast will be ad-free. You can find the link to Acast Plus in the description of this podcast. For everyone else, we'll be back after these messages. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to part two of My Time Capsule with Annabel Dowler, better known perhaps as Kirsty from the Archers, a subject that so far we have almost managed to avoid. Let's see if that continues as we hear the rest of the things for her time capsule. Okay, so number three is a, a drawing or painting, maybe, of the Liverpool Playhouse Theatre. It's by a, a Liverpool artist called Frieda McKillick. I've never met her, mm. and, um, and if this was a gift from one of my mum's friends, a wedding gift, a wedding present, and... Um, she paints really quirky black and white paintings of architecture in Liverpool. Mm. And, and any people in these paintings are quite Lowry-esque. And um, so this is, I, I love this, it's of the Liverpool Playhouse Theatre, which is somewhere I went to as a child. I suppose it was the nearest big professional theatre to us when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing Bebop Alula when I was really young there, and <laughs> Mickey Stark and Drew Schofield and, and and just loving it. And I went to see, like, the, the, they had a rep company when I was growing up and, and that, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do as an actor. I thought, I want to do this. I want to be in a company that's doing different plays all the time, mm. different characters, different accents. Anyway, so that was our nearest professional theatre. But I, I didn't work there until I was 30. I got had an audition for a, a Willie Russell play, Breeze Block Park. And what was fantastic about this was that Mickey Stark was playing my dad and Drew Schofield was playing my uncle in it. Oh, wow. And it's, I don't know if you know it, it's a very, I, I think it's hilarious, there's some hilarious speeches in it. Mm. It's, it's just about a family at Christmas, a rather disastrous Christmas. And it was the Christmas show at the, at the Liverpool Playhouse. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was just a dream to be working there, having gone there as a child, and to be working with people I'd seen and respected when I was little. And also what was funny is that um, Willie Russell, because my natural accent I think I've had, the way I speak now, I think, is the way I've probably always spoken. I, my parents don't have a strong Scouse accent. In fact, I was so embarrassed that they didn't when I was at school because they <laughs> spoke too posh. You know, they didn't say up, they said up. And I remember sort of saying, you know, parents' evenings, I'd be like, oh God, please, can you say last tonight and not last? I was so embarrassed. And I remember at school being like, you know, people used to call me a snob. I mean, I wasn't bullied, but... We were from Formby, which was sort of the posher side of Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember being called a snob because I didn't say mum, you know, and, and desperately trying to, to nudge my vowel sounds because I said mum. And it's really weird now because my sisters and, and myself, we, we, don't, we never got to say mum. It felt too much. So we have developed the strange vowel, mum. <laughs> and often people say to me, are you Welsh? Are you Welsh, Because yeah. it does sound quite... Because it's very near, obviously, North Wales anyway, mm. Liverpool, Formby. So I went from saying mum to mum, <laughs> and then it stuck there. So I've got this weird accent, which is... I mean, you can hear the Merseyside and the Liverpool in the lilt, yeah. but I would, would always, for acting purposes, 
I'd never use my own voice. So I'd Is always that have funny? to go with more scouts. I was going to ask scouts. you earlier when you mentioned going on holiday occasionally to South Wales. I nearly asked if you'd ever lived there. No. It's from having that soft Merseyside thing or ah. just a softer Liverpool. So I acting-wise, I'd always either I'd want to use, you know, when you have to do monologues to get into drama school or whatever in the view showcase, I always thought, right, got to use, you know, got to use the Liverpool somewhere. So I'd always go more scouts and do a Liverpool one. And then I would do an RP. Because when I was at drama school, I remember the head of our uh, drama school saying, well, you sound like you should be in Brookside, but you look like you should be in a period drama. (laughs) And that's what I sort of got all the time. And the two didn't necessarily go that well together. Um, (laughs) But I wrote to Willie Russell when I was applying for drama school, lots of us did it at the time, you'd write to people, famous actors, to say, please, can you help with my fees, basically, you know, my mm. living expenses when I'm going to drama school. And I wrote to Willie Russell, I said, look, I've I've always loved your plays and I've performed them at school and I've done this and I've done that and I used this piece to get into drama school and I would, I'm would wondering if you could donate at all to help me through my year there. And he sent me a cheque oh, for 250 quid, mm. which, you know, paid for a couple of, cups of coffee in Kensington at the time we were ridiculous <laughs> but no very very generous yeah. very nice so on press night of Breeze Block Park I put a cheque for 250 quid in the card to him <sighs> and I said this is for you I don't know because I hadn't mentioned it to him during rehearsals and he said and he went oh no 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 Annabelle no 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 pass the baton on pass the baton on Annabelle go on go on no mm. no no and of course I was like no 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 will you take it it's fine Anyway, it was out of my bank account on Monday, gone, cashed in, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Let's hope he did pass the baton on. I bet he did. But, so that was the first play I did there. <laughs> and then it, just because of having worked with directors there and Gemma Bodinese took over, who I just oh, love Gemma, one of my favourite directors. I did her first play at The Everyman. And then I just got asked to audition for stuff over the next few years. And what was lovely is I was living in a big house share in Shepherd's Bush at the time. But it was a period of my life where I'd go back every year and I'd go and stay with my parents. So I'd stay with my mum and dad in Formby. Mm. And it was so lovely going back, age 30, but not because I had to and, you know, life was bad, but just because it was actually a really nice part of my career as well. And they were so proud and they loved it. And then their friends would come and see me and I'd have university and drama school mates coming up to stay at my mum and dad's and they'd come and see the show and we'd go out in Liverpool and the next day we'd go for walks on Formby Beach. And so it it felt like sort of rediscovering where I was from again, because I'd left when I was 18 and I didn't really go out in Liverpool that much then. So it was a really, when I look back now, it was a really special time. And I just loved working in that building. And, you know, you knew everyone. Mm. And Liverpool people are known to be friendly anyway. But, you know, everyone in that building knew each other and chatted. The crew, the actors, the the cleaners, the dressers, everyone. It just was a, such a big, happy family. Mm. And I know that sounds really cliche, but every time I got a job there, you know, you're always a bit nervous the first day, the read-through. But I had that sort of, that that base and that foundation of a, of a confidence that I from having worked with people before and and some of the happiest days I think I've had are when you're in a rehearsal room with a director you 100% trust because you just know whatever decision they make at the end is the right one and and who you feel so comfortable with the other actors that you can just play around and you know experiment with anything mm. and you're just laughing every day <laughs> and I've just got such happy memories from those years going back and doing really different jobs as well with some great writers as well, like Roger McGough, Tim Firth. And, you know, I look back now, I think, God, I was lucky to have that. And, and during that time, I did meet my husband. Mm. So then he came over and then he'd be in the Shepherd's Bush house and I'd be going to Liverpool and he'd come at weekends, my parents. Then Alberto was born and I, 11 months old, I got my first job at the Playhouse again. And I thought, oh God, can I do it? Yes, took him with me. Mum and dad looked after him in the day. Yeah. It was a different sort. I wasn't in the bar every night then. I was no. coming back. I was shattered. You know, <laughs> he was waking at 4 a.m. And then actually, since my daughter's born, I've not been there again. Uh, because I think it gets really hard when they start at school, doesn't it? You yeah, know? And, yeah. And once they were at school, I didn't feel I could go off again for two no. months at a time. And it makes me sad that I haven't done that, but I'm hoping, you know, I can go back there one day. Yeah. And of course, you know, sell a place in Forest Hill, well, buy anything you like in Liverpool. Yes. Liverpool and Cadiz. Yeah. We can split it. Yes. Yeah, quite. Yeah, you can have a nice yeah. apartment on the beach. And- <laughs> exactly. Yes. So very happy times at the Liverpool Playhouse. Wonderful. Let's put that glorious building into the time yes. capsule. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Okay, so we've got two left. Right. So, oh God, this last one was hard because there was lots of different things. But, but in the end, I have gone for a hotel room 
in a hotel called the Hotel Rival in Stockholm. Right. Now, I love having a night in a hotel on my own. <laughs> and I was I I was terrible at being on my own and not good in my own company most of my life. But now that I am married with children, I love my own company. <laughs> oh, my word. There are actors in the arches who um, don't, uh, you know, who complain about it being in Birmingham, some of them, oh, God, why can't we do it in London? I love it. Mm. I think when I first started in the arches, I didn't. Uh, I said, oh, I've got to go to Birmingham for one episode, bit of a hassle. Now, God, give me a train ride. I love to sit on a train and just have that time for myself and have a hotel night away. And I'm happy with the Holiday and Express in Birmingham. But this is the Hotel Rival in Stockholm, which I was lucky enough to stay in about 12 times over a two-year period because I got this job doing a video game. With the dots and all that sort of thing. Yes, wow. the, the dots, the mocap, the motion capture, which I'd never done before. <laughs> and I auditioned for this thing, thinking nothing of it, and it was about a couple getting divorced. Oh, sounds like the weirdest thing for mm. a video game, but anyway, I'll do it. Got it, and it meant that the filming was two solid days of filming, sometimes three days, every month or every two months, in Stockholm, because it was a Swedish company making this game, Haze Light Games, so basically, you'd fly out on a Wednesday night. So just for me, getting on an aeroplane, the luxury of it now, just having... Because it's not... Obviously, I drop my kids at school, my husband's at work. But <laughs> there's one thing being in my house when I know I've got a pile of washing to do mm -hmm. or, you know, all that nonsense and boring drudgery. Um, but when you've got that time to yourself and you're on a plane or a train or a hotel and you can just do what you want to do, mm. I never take that for granted now, you know. And so the Hotel Rival is a beautiful hotel in the Sodermalm area of Stockholm. And it was a 1930s cinema. And so it's all Art Deco. The bar is fabulous. I mean, <laughs> it is just the most beautiful bar. And it's owned by one of the ABBA guys, by Benny in ABBA. Ah. So he, he bought it and he... I think at 2003 or something, he converted it into a hotel. So it's a gorgeous sort of boutique hotel. And it looks over a, a lovely square and... Um, I just, I, I, it's probably one of those places I never would have gone to had I not got this job. I fell in love with Stockholm and we got so little time to see it because our filming days were really long. But we'd go out for dinner. So it's just myself and one other British actor who also had kids, but his were much younger than mine. And he was always sort of calling home and feeling guilty about being away. Whereas mine were <laughs> older. I was like, I am, that's it. I am off duty for three days. And I don't care if one of them's been left at school and the other's forgotten their homework. Someone else can sort that out. <laughs> and I just used to just love my time in Stockholm and the Hotel Rival. It's the, the um, because the staff got to know us because we were there so often mm -hmm. and it's all very glamorous decor, a bit, bit scandy, but then sort of all 1930s glamour. And my husband came out to visit once and we got to see Stockholm properly. It was freezing, but bright blue skies. And it was all over the news that Italy had gone into lockdown. And, you know, it just felt so alien, so weird. And then Spain was going into lockdown. So I remember we were in Stockholm going out, having these wonderful dinners. And the Spanish family were like, no, we're not allowed out of the house. And we just couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. And then a week later, we flew back and the same thing happened here. But it's a very special place. And last July, they finally had the launch party, a postponed launch party for the game in, in July in, um, in Stockholm. It was gorgeous. The weather was amazing. So Alejandro came out again and we stayed at the Rival again. So that was the last time. And I probably, not, I don't know if I'll ever be back there again because the game's over now. And the game, it takes two. It, it turned out to win all these awards and, and we ended up going to the BAFTA Games last year and it won two BAFTAs. So it turned out to be this really amazing job and wow. and went, the whole package was was fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah. Did you get a BAFTA? I didn't get it to bring home, mm. no. But I got a lot of photos of me with the BAFTA, <laughs> yes. Yeah, quite right. Yeah. I had lunch with Bjorn and Betty in Stockholm. Did you? How come? Do you know, I almost forget in parts of my life until people <laughs> talk until about talk them. And then I go, else. yeah, I've done that. A long time ago, I was in a parody pop group and we went to Stockholm oh to perform gosh. on a programme called uh, Mundasburg or Monday's Bag. It was like Top of the Pops, really. Oh, and we sang our song on this show. And the next day we went for lunch in a restaurant. We were taken by the record company and it was rather a posh restaurant. And as we walked in, Bjorn and Benny were sitting at a table and they waved to us and we went over and said, hello. And they said, we saw you last night. Very funny. Very good. Very good. Wow. Join us. So we did. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. I know. How weird. Were they nice? Yeah, they were lovely. But uh, never invited me to stay at his hotel, Benny. Nothing. <laughs> no chance. 
Well, get yourself there now. Get on booking.com. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'm a friend of the owner. <laughs> Annabelle, we've only got one thing to put in, and unfortunately it's something you'd like to get rid of from your life. Yeah. Oh, this, this is going to sound strange, but this is Bell's palsy. Mm? Bell's palsy, the condition where your face paralyzes. And, you know, this isn't life-threatening, thank goodness, but I got Bell's palsy oh. on a day, Mike, when I had two auditions. Oh. I mean, you couldn't write it. So I never get two auditions in one day. And this was two auditions in two different cities. Mm. So basically, I was going up for Corrie. This is when you had to go up to ITV. And so I was, had a, an audition in Manchester first thing on the Monday. And then after that, I was going to Liverpool every man to audition for a play. And it was the, the lead woman in this play written by a brilliant writer who I'd worked with before, Irish character, an Irish suffragette in 1916, an Irish activist. And I really hadn't done theatre for a while. And I thought I could make this work. It's not too long a run. And I'd really prepped for it and I had to sing in the audition and all this. Anyway, because it was all happening on a Monday, I thought I'll go and stay with my parents the night before and then I can go straight to Manchester, to Liverpool, back to London. We were going to Spain for the whole summer two days later. Mm-hmm. And it was the Wimbledon final day. We love Wimbledon and watching Wimbledon with my parents. Massive sort of ritual in our house. So I got there in time for the Wimbledon final. But I went to bed that night and my auntie was in my bedroom and I was in my sister's room with my sister in the other single beds. And that night I, I brushed my teeth and I felt like like when you've had an injection at the dentist and mm. a bit numb and my eye was a bit sore. Anyway, didn't think anything of it. Woke up the next morning early, all ready to get the train to Manchester and my eye was was watering loads and my mouth was now really feeling fuzzy. Mm. And I thought, oh, my God, what the hell is this? And I sort of, you know, Googled numb lip, watery eye. Straight away, Bell's palsy comes up. And I just think, oh, my mm. God, no, 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 no. And my sister was like, forget about it. Don't Google anything else. Just go now. Get to Manchester. So I get to Manchester. Thankfully, and so this was the right side of my face I could feel going a bit weird. The camera was on the left side. But my mind is going crazy. I'm clearly going, what the hell is this? Oh, my God, oh, my God. I'd already Googled more. I'd seen that you have to get steroids straight away if it is this. Well, you're terrified as well also that suddenly your face does start to droop. Well, God, yes. Well, I was not at the drooping stage of this. But at this point, Mm. it's just a bit fizzy and numb and Mm. watery sore eye because what I realised was it wasn't blinking properly. Anyway, so I got through the Corrie audition. I was probably terrible because I was just thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, I've got to get out of here. I rush to Piccadilly Station. I get changed out of my doctor garb. I change into an Irish suffragette. I don't know what I was wearing, but, you know. And (laughs) I get there. Now, by the time I get to Liverpool, it's getting worse. And it's an hour train journey. Now, I had had the previous week, because I'd had this polyp on my vocal cord in the past, which wasn't causing me too many problems at all. It's fine. I could sing and everything. But I used to go and sometimes get a bit of vocal cord therapy, which is basically just having a big massage around your neck. Mm. And I don't want... I, I'm not saying it is this at all, but I rang the guy who'd done it and said, oh, this is happening to me. I'm not sure. If, and he, he said, well, try some exercises. So I'm on the train with him on FaceTime doing do this. And I'm going to go, ah, ah and do all this. <laughs> and I'm seeing that one side's not quite moving like it should. But anyway, oh. it was awful. So I get then to uh, the everyman and the way they positioned me in that rehearsal room for this audition, they literally had me 90 degrees to the director with my bad side in the total view of the director. Mm. And I had to do a two page monologue in Dublin accent 1916 and sing a song and I'm now thinking I look like a flipping mannequin and not just a mannequin but a mannequin who's crying because my eye won't blink and there's tears coming out and I did I remember I I was going from 1916 Dublin I ended up sounding like 2020 Belfast my accent was all over the show I got through the song and I could not get out of that room fast enough and basically got the train back I went to bed that night to be packing cases for Spain. And that morning I um, I got to the doctor, burst into tears in front of this nurse and said, I know it's Bell's palsy, I'm an actor, you have to give me steroids now. And then I remember crying later in the day with my husband and looking in the mirror, seeing yourself crying with Bell's palsy is a bit of a weird sight. Half your face screwed up, the other looks like you'd be Botoxed to the hilt. Do you know what I mean? It was the yeah. strangest thing. And then we got on a plane and they said to me, you have to wear a patch, you have to wear an eye patch to keep your eyelid shut because otherwise your eye's going to get damaged because it can't blink mm. and um, I literally think I grabbed a pirate patch from one of my kids toy box <laughs> you know turned it inside out so I didn't look like I was going to some blooming party and was on the plane with this patch which kept falling off I mean honestly and then 
they said to me, you've got to tape your eye down at night because at night it can't close. So literally oh, there was yeah. this whole ritual every night where we were having to get this special surgical tape. And honestly, the whole thing was a nightmare. Do they tell you how long it's going to last? No, or? Well, I, was, I thought, oh, it'll be like antibiotics. It'll kick in in three days. I'll be fine. Yeah. No, I read it could be up to five months. I thought, oh, oh my, my word. I was very lucky. Five weeks and I was fine. And thank God mm. it was the summer. Big sunglasses. People couldn't see. But of course... I'm thinking, I'm imagining headlines, Archer's actress really does only have a face for radio. You know, I'm thinking, (laughs) I was like, I'll never be able to do a play again. I'll never be on screen again. I'll just have to be like hounding my voiceover agent the whole time for jobs. Anyway, so I said to my agent, this has happened, but I was away anyway, thank God. Mm. I don't want any self-tapes this summer, you know. Um, And that funnily enough, when I got back and I said, I'm okay now, I'm okay, we can start the self-tapes again. The first self-tape that came through was for the video game, It Takes Two, which turned Ah. out to be that job. And I sort of thought nothing of it. I was just so relieved to have an audition again, lines to learn, script to prepare, do a self-tape, get one in again. And then that was that. So I never want that to happen again. So please stick it in the time capsule. Oh, awful. Well, it's awful for an actor and awful for an actor when you got two auditions in one day. Yeah. That was not fun, no. Oh, and I didn't no. get either job, needless to say. <laughs> no surprise there. Anyway. <laughs> but next time you'll be called back for Corrie. They say, we want this woman who cries all the time, but, <laughs> but only half of her face. Yeah. And about... It's been really lovely talking to you. Oh. Listening to you, in fact. You're just such a fantastic talker. God, I know I speak too fast. I meant to say to you at the beginning, should we have a code for when I start speeding up and I should have given you a sort of slow-down code? <laughs> no, that's fine by me. I love it when people come on here and just tell me things. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's been enormous fun. Oh, thank you. It's been lovely to do. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Annabelle Dowler. There are lots of other episodes available and many more to come, so please do subscribe to this podcast and we'll keep you posted and readily supplied with every episode as it's released. Please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you've chosen to listen to us on. And if you want to see what we're up to and what's coming up, why not follow us on Twitter and or Instagram? And you can befriend us on Facebook. And you can listen to the theme tune on Spotify if you search its composer and performer, Pass the Peas Music. This was a cast-off production for Acast, and our producer was John Fenton Stevens. Right, I'm off to find a new chemist. Don't worry, the old one hasn't closed down, like lots of them. I just don't fancy going there anymore. Not after what happened last time. I mean, I went in there and I asked if he had a cure for hiccups, and he just jumped out from behind the counter, shouted boo, and then slapped me around the face. He then said, did it work? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.